Welcome to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. I'm Yusip. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. The sun is shining, and I'm here again with Yusip Roine. What's up? Hey, Toby. I'm envious if the sun is shining, it's snowing again. I saw a picture of you on, on Twitter with a snowman, and I'm like, wow, that's not... I'm actually sitting in a t-shirt on the terrace at the moment. Yeah, we were out this morning with my two-year-old, and, and we built a snowman, uh, a super small one, though. And, and my kid was watching at the snowman. He hasn't seen one before, because the two previous winters ha- have been snow-free, mostly. So he's looking at the snowman, and gives gives the snowman a hug, and and then I realized this is probably his new friend now. <laughs> oh no! I can't wait. What happens when the when the snowman starts melting? Oh yeah! Oh, you have yeah. to bring so, it inside to the freezer. <laughs> so what I've been up to lately? Uh, at home, uh, I've got my home office, and I've got one server, and it's also my workstation PC. So I do most of the stuff on on this one PC. Uh, I've obviously also got a laptop, but I rarely use that at home. So now I've been planning on building a new PC for home. And besides going through the components and, and the price lists and figuring out what to get and, and all that, I've, I've had this existential crisis in the sense, am I building a new server or am I building a new main workstation? And what happens with the old one? Does it become the new old server? Or will it be the the future workstation, but without the server duties? And and I very much realize this is a, a sort of a first world problem. But still, this is what keeps me up at night. Wow. So when you say that you have a server at home, that brings me back about 10 years or so. Um, I use one laptop primarily for most of my daily work. And then I have separate laptops for different you know, personal uh photoshopping or whatever i'm doing that's it and i don't i don't see the need for a server at home of course it would be fun to have something to manage just for the sake of it but everything is in the cloud so you know that's that's how i roll so what what are you going to use that for so currently the the workstation server slash everything else that i do it runs my plex media center so all of the movies the tv recordings it has a tv card as well so that i can record movies when i'm on the go but it also provides me with live tv stream so okay. if you're if you're traveling with the family outside finland and occasionally there's something you just have to see live like uh like this sort of uh, ice hockey championship thingy Finland against Sweden and we hope to win again against Sweden which I think only happened once in our lifetime that you cannot stream uh, remotely so you have to dial in back home and and use the TV card to actually get the live stream if you're not based in Finland at the time so it's all sorts of different things that we've grown to like at home and I've, I've kind of uh, compacted all of those together in one PC. And now I'm thinking perhaps I should have a bit more risk factor in there so that I, I would have two pieces. If one fails, the other one would still work. Yeah, because you wouldn't want to miss that hockey game between Sweden and Finland. Yeah, and I don't even like hockey, so it's not for me, but it's it's for the family, I think. Yeah, all right, fair enough. So 
what I've been up to is I've been looking a lot now at the data I get from one of my IoT projects. Um, so I'm now eagerly looking at the coffee machine I have, which is IoT connected. And it measures the temperature, the on-off times, and how long it's brewing, uh, and then the rating of each brew. And the rating I get from every time I take the pot off, there's a sensor saying, okay, someone is taking a cup of coffee now. And it starts a display, uh, a touch display with four buttons. And it's going to ask you first, what cup size do you have? Because if you're making a cappuccino or something else, then it's a different cup than just a regular cup of black coffee. Uh, and then one to five, how was that cup? Because I always taste it when I take it. And then what milk are you using? And then save this as a favorite. So I get those options and I can just tap that display real quick. Then I get all this data into the cloud. Um, and with the rating, I can then go back and track the history uh, to see what was the best brew. And the thing that doesn't appear in the actual buttons, but that appears when I initially fill the uh, coffee machine up, is there's a moist sensor on the top saying, okay, you just filled new water. That means you're putting new beans into the coffee machine. Therefore, the display again starts up and it's going to ask me, what coffee beans are you using and what ground size have you made them on? So I get two questions. And that's a predefined list that I, from my laptop, I go into Azure, I put a, a list of the coffee beans I have, and then I get the questions on the, on the IoT device. Uh, so this is powered by a, a Raspberry Pi, and uh, Raspberry Pi 4 with some connected peripherals like the touch display and whatever. So every time I take a cup of coffee, I get more data into my IoT cloud. So now I can see in Power BI my cool dashboards uh, so I can go back in time and remember three days ago, I really enjoyed that cup of coffee. Uh, and then I also have the data of what that coffee was. So what milk, what type of cup, what coffee beans. And then I can go back and make another great cup of coffee anytime. Okay, so if this IT thing is not working out for you, you have a surprisingly good-looking career ahead of you as a professional coffee drinker. A digital barista. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> all righty. So on today's topic, all things GitHub. Uh, so let's start with defining what is GitHub and why should I care? What's your experience with, with using GitHub? So GitHub, that's a great question. And GitHub is something that I use every single day. Uh, traditionally, I have used it for private code repositories or contributing to open source code projects. Um, so that's the main thing that I used to have GitHub for. It was purely code. Uh, recently, I'm using it for a bit more like workflow automation, and I think we'll talk a little bit about that in this episode. Um, so, I mean, GitHub brings together millions of developers. You have the huge ecosystem of uh, worldwide projects, a lot of open source projects, but also closed source projects in private repositories that can benefit from in my opinion, the best platform that can support you with your Git or uh, code actions. So Microsoft acquired GitHub in, in late 2018 for $7.5 billion. And at the time, so this was about two years ago, uh, at the time I was also using GitHub, but I was using the, the free account, the free tier, so I wasn't paying a penny to GitHub, and I was mostly using it for private repositories, and that was kind of the exposure to me 
I, I understood that there's this community building capability in there, but mostly it was for me about storing my source code and, and all the associated data I would need in my software projects to GitHub, mainly for me to work on, or if I wanted to involve another developer or somebody I knew who could take a look at my code, I would then grant them access to my repos. And I, I checked this online, and on GitHub, they have the most repos uh, currently of any similar platform in the world. Yeah, they have a lot of stuff. And I don't measure the success of, of my GitHub usage by how many millions of repositories are on there, but it do tells, tells us a story a little bit about uh, the investments they're making in the platform and just the fact that there's hundreds of millions of repositories on there and, and millions of teams and organizations using it also means the ecosystem is mature enough. There is a marketplace. You can get a lot of stuff automated. You can get a lot of stuff uh, built in. So it's not just code anymore. And I think we'll talk a little bit about that in this episode as well. For sure. And, and again, back in the day before we had the, the online-based repos and, and all the fancy things that GitHub and similar services give us today, I spent so many evenings and weekends migrating from uh, Visual Source Safe to Team Foundation Server and then Team Foundation Services, doing these different upgrades and ensuring that everything migrated as it should. And later on, when we moved to Azure DevOps, and it was called in between Visual Studio Online, and perhaps it has a different name even before that, I, I, I lost track at some point on the different namings. Uh, now with GitHub, what I really appreciate with this is that when I need to store my code in there, it just works. And I don't have to worry about how do I migrate, how do I ensure that if there's a new capability that I get that to work for me as well. So in a sense, GitHub kind of transparently gives me the, the promise of the cloud without me worrying too much about it. Makes sense. So what's in the name? Uh, what's Git? Is it the same as, as GitHub? I think this is a question that, that we often hear from people who might not be developers at all or who haven't used any, any of these relatively fresh innovations like, like GitHub, but are more still on the way of doing X-copy deployments and, and having multiple folders in a shared drive on a Windows server in on-premises. I hope nobody's doing that anymore, uh, but I do remember the times. So Git, um, like you say, GitHub is not Git. GitHub is a place that supports Git, and Git itself is a distributed versioning control system where you can pretty much see the full history and audit log of what happens in your code. And that supports different branches. You can branch out features, you can merge them back in, and you can have uh, pull requests and things um, happen on top of that. So Git in itself, that's the underlying source control or distributed source control system. Uh, comparable, not feature comparable, but the concept is comparable to TFS that you might have used in the past, or Visual Source Safe, I, I recall, something we used 10 years ago, 15 years ago, whatever, uh, or Subversion, if you're using that, SVN, or have used that. Uh, Git is the future of that. And I think it's that plain and simple. I have not worked in a single project 
uh, either in a community-based project nor a corporate project or my own personal project that is not based on Git in the last at least six or seven years. Before that, there were still some SVN or subversion projects. Uh, unfortunately, there was also some source-safe projects back then, but most of them are now Git-based. So GitHub is a platform that supports that, but so does Azure DevOps, if you're using that, a repository. And there is also something that can be based on Git. I recall still having discussions maybe two years ago in 2018 with a bunch of, of local customers in Finland. And, and we had a discussion on, on if they choose to start with this and this project, where should we store the source code and, and, and all the secrets and, and relevant data. And certain customers, they might be financial sector, they might be public sector, they, they simply flat out said that, no, we are not pushing anything to the cloud. It needs to be ours. It needs to be a virtual machine. It needs to be in our data center. It needs to be something we can control and ensure the security is there. Uh, and now with GitHub, perhaps the discussion would be a little bit different in 2020 now. But uh, so Git, the the actual protocol and the system for distributed version control that was uh, created by Linus Torvalds in 2005. And, and he's the same person who initially came up with Linux. And I think that was almost 30 years ago. And, and today GitHub employs that same protocol, although I am sure they, they're probably committed quite a bit of, of uh, additional capabilities to what it was back in 2005. So what can I do with GitHub then? We mentioned already repos or repositories. And in essence, they allow you to store code. And you can have a public repo, meaning that you create a repo, perhaps using a browser. You go to github.com, you create an account. Then you get to create a repo. And if that's a public one, I could then invite other people to contribute or just see what I have in my repo. Or if people use search on GitHub, they, they could find something I have in my repo, perhaps to lift that and use as they like, depending on the license that I attach to the repo. Or they might contribute to what I'm already building. And in, in that sense, we are working together on typically on an open source project then. Yeah. How, how's your experience then? You mentioned you use GitHub almost on a daily basis. So is that only for your IoT coffee machine projects or is it also for things you do daily at work? So most of the things are traditionally my spare time projects. But more and more, we're looking at some of our uh, code repositories at the company as well, where we move some of them to GitHub. And the main reason initially for that was simply that we wanted help from open source developers to contribute to specific rules around security and vulnerabilities and whatever we have that we do in our tools. And we said, you know what, this is what we have. You guys can help us contribute to, to that. And, and you can make your own contributions to whatever goes into that part of the product, which is pretty cool. Uh, so there's an ecosystem of, of people helping out on that. That's one of the powers of, of GitHub. But more and more, we're also looking at actually moving the source code to GitHub due to the uh, automation that we can get with, with the marketplace and the, the different actions uh, that exist. And 
If we talk about actions, so you mentioned we have public and private repositories, and this falls under, you know, kind of the code management category, if you will. And then we have something we usually say code workflow. So not actually the code itself, but what you do around it. That encompasses something called also GitHub Actions. And this is where I start seeing the power also for how we do things at work. Uh, so with GitHub Actions, you, you kind of get minutes. You pay by the minute for hosted agents or runners uh, that automate your software development workflows. Um, that can be running tests, running vulnerability scans, running whatever it is that you're already doing somewhere else. And in my case, I'm running a lot of things in Azure DevOps, and I'm running automated builds. I have vulnerability checkers. I have code analysis checkers and, and all these things. Now with GitHub Actions, I can do the same thing, uh, and it's built in a similar fashion where you pay by the minute for how many minutes you're actually utilizing these automations. Uh, and you do that the same in Azure DevOps and in GitHub. Um, but I'm seeing more and more traction for GitHub Actions now that they announced it last year, and I'm seeing the marketplace is just exploding with you know new things you can use to automate your uh, code and the reliability, security, um, and and dependency management around everything you have in your repositories as well, which is pretty cool. So I'm I'm looking at GitHub.com now, and I click on a marketplace which is on the top navigation, mm -hmm. and as you would imagine, the marketplace is a place where, where companies can publish their own third-party extensions to GitHub. And some of those are free, some of those you probably pay for. And the recommendations for me, as an example, there's one on Azure Pipelines, which is interesting because we still have Azure DevOps, obviously. And, and now we can connect Azure DevOps with GitHub as well. So you could still choose to keep things as is in Azure DevOps, but perhaps for something you would employ GitHub and then you would connect these with Azure pipelines and or GitHub Actions. Yeah, and okay. what I particularly like there with the marketplace is um, you have this distinction here with the apps or actions where an app is something kind of like a plugin in your pipeline saying, I'm gonna run this uh, on your code and the action is this, automation a little bit more lightweight if you will where you can still like a, a popular thing that we used to do in our code repositories is running something called a credential scanner to make sure you did not put any connection strings or app settings with sensitive data into your projects and committing this to source code now with github actions there's like secret scanners and git leaks actions and set up git credentials and you know all these kind of extensions or uh, GitHub actions that people have created to help you um, yeah, secure your pipeline, secure your code. And that's only in that security category. But there's a plethora of categories and there's a lot of both apps and actions that you can apply and implement into your, well, your code workflows, if, if you want to call it that. I, I keep getting a weekly email from GitHub uh, on one of my super old repos. And it's funny because I don't own the repo. I just have access to a repo, and I think I I wrote most of the code in there initially, 
but then it was lifted from my repo. I gave the permission for that, and it was it was uh, combined with another repo later on. And that repo is one for one of my old books, and I, I had some code examples for the book. And I thought it would be nice for the readers when they're reading a physical book or or the digital digital copy of the book that they would have access to the code as well. So now every week GitHub sends me an email that oh we found this and this super old. Node.js thingy that you're using, perhaps you should consider updating that. Yep. Even even if we kind of agree that that repo is for 2017 style of things, and I don't think anybody's even accessing that repo anymore. But that also tells me that GitHub is super active in a positive way in scanning through what you're submitting and keeping you awake on the things that are happening with your code. Yeah, and so... That falls under under the security and compliance kind of category. And they have these security alerts. And I also get them for some of my projects. Um, I take action on them. Even if I have a project that is several years old, I know that there's still some activity there. People are going to grab the code and, and I get questions about it or someone is raising an issue. And if there's any type of activity that I can see, then of course, I go and fix the issues. Or if it's possible to fix the issues, I will try and do that. Um, so I really like those security alerts. Um, and under security and compliance features, this falls under the free tier, and we'll talk a little bit about the pricing later. There's also something called public token scanning, which I really like. And this is, uh, so you can get notified if your token have been exposed in public repositories, kind of like the credential scanner I mentioned before, that you can integrate uh, specific actions or apps in your pipelines and your workflows. And, and it can tell you, you just committed source code that contains a connection string to an Azure storage account. That might not be the, the best of ideas. And you can also now natively have this integration, or you, you do get this integration with public token scanning as well built in, which is pretty cool. And then you have all the automated security updates to uh, keep projects secure and by automatically opening pull requests and uh, kind of updating vulnerable dependencies uh, to secure versions because. Again, coming back to different plugins I used to do in Azure DevOps, we have all these vulnerability scanners and it scans all the NuGet packages that we have as dependencies. And it's gonna tell me, you have 20 NuGets, five of them are flagged with low severity vulnerabilities, but one of them has a critical one. Now in GitHub, you have automated security updates. So it can tell you, we have found a vulnerability in this dependency and I can create a PR for you with this GitHub action. I can create a PR for you, uh, which automatically updates that to the latest safe version. And then you can do that. And that's pretty slick. So you can enhance your workflows a lot. And this is, I'm just talking about the security angle at this point, but you can do this around a, a lot of things. But I particularly like this because on the bottom line, if your code is not secure, it's not good code. And GitHub will help you making sure that you can stay on top of these threats. They also recently announced a vulnerability database. So they are actually listing CVE disclosures. So the kind of threats and risks you find and vulnerabilities you find in third-party dependencies, they now have a database which is publicly available. You can just go take a look at that. This is also scanned in your code repositories. So if you have a dependency on a version of a NuGet using a vulnerable Dependency, bam, you'll be alerted. I really like this. 
So, so we went through GitHub repos, actions, the code workflow, security and compliance marketplace. And then there's something called GitHub package registry. And I haven't used this. So this was out in preview, I think late 2019. So about six months ago. Uh, and my understanding is that this allows you to use your own code to create packages and dependencies that you can then use either in a public or private method within your own code. Yeah, pretty much that. And if you use NPM or stuff like this, you can uh, publish privately for your team or publicly for free to the open source community. And then you can just use these packages as you see fit. This is what I do with Azure DevOps for some of my things. I'm creating NuGet packages and then I can use them and reuse if it's a core library you know, containing um, audit logging features, logging features, telemetry, and whatever it is that I use in all my projects, I can distribute this as a NuGet. Uh, or if you're on the on the JavaScript platform, you can do an NPM, do something like this. And you get this package that you can just pull into your project. So I live in the .NET world, so I'm on the .NET Core ecosystem. That's why I do NuGets. But of course, if you're on the NPM platform, that's uh, that's supported. And one of the capabilities is also collaboration. And that's something I see very often now. There might be uh, an open source project driven by the community. So it might be a bunch of Microsoft MVPs who are building something. And now when I say building something, it doesn't necessarily have to mean with GitHub that it's, it's actual code. It could also be a document. It could be guidance. It could be something else. And with collaboration, you can have this sort of back and forth collaboration with all the other people who are part of the community or people who find your repo and perhaps want to uh, contribute to your, your efforts or perhaps want to flag an issue in there or simply say thank you for, for working on this. And I think one of the strong things with the collaboration here is that it's not an instant message style of thing it's it's more like the classic discussion boards we had in 1995 with, with the bbs's and and when things were still simple and that's probably one of the strengths that i like with github that i can easily hop in to different repos find out about what's going on in here and follow up on the thinking they've had so far yeah and i, I really like this with uh, with the issues and tracking lists specifically for a lot of Specifically, the, the Microsoft open source community is awesome here. I work a lot with Azure, a lot with the different SDKs and ARM templates and whatever it is. A lot of the time, when I'm Googling an error that I, that I found in coming up from the SDK that I didn't expect, I just Google for it and I will end up on GitHub in the issue tracking list for perhaps the Azure SDKs or for Azure ARM templates or something else. Um, and there's people there contributing their experience, their knowledge, how they solved it. And then in the end, someone is from Microsoft is closing the issue saying, okay, solution from, from above is going to work. We're mitigating this. There's a pull request. It is now in, in the next version. There you go. So I really like this kind of global ecosystem of developers coming together. Um, you know, you don't complain as much anymore that something doesn't work as much as go to an issue list and say, you know what, this doesn't work. Here's how I did it, and here's my reproduction and uh, reproduction steps, or how, how to reproduce it. And when you do that, you quickly get a response most of the time. 
and then hopefully you'll also get a uh, get that resulting in some kind of action that will help you mitigate that issue in the future. One of, one of the things that really opened my eyes just recently is that somebody I know from the community as, as well as from a couple of previous projects I worked on last year, uh, that person announced on Twitter that he builds a custom executable that allows you to run multiple copies of Microsoft Teams, the, the clients. And I thought that was quite clever. So, so I asked him, so where, where do I get this? He linked to his own page. He had the executable in there. It was an unsigned executable and no source code. So I think when people download those, they're really hesitant to run a random exe file from the web. And I think Windows Defender will flag that quite quickly as well. So I, I replied to him publicly on Twitter that perhaps could you push this solution on GitHub and also make the source code available so others could benefit and they could see how it works and perhaps contribute for this. And my initial reaction, I was expecting him to say, well, no, this is mine. But 20 minutes later, he replied, yeah, let me, let me figure out how to do that. I've never used GitHub. And an hour later, he replied, okay, it's done now. Here's the link. I opened that. There's the, the .NET Framework 4.6 project and the whole source code. I was super impressed that it's so easy for people who might not be developers to actually start sharing whatever they, they built. And I, I mean, this reminds me of a little bit about um, some security awareness discussions I've had in the past. Um, you'd be surprised how many people would actually click that because they don't care about the privacy or security issues that it might lead to. They only see that, well, if I can get around the problem of signing out and signing in of, of, of Teams all the time, I'll do it. Yep. Uh, so, so I like that this gets out in the public as an open source project because then, of course, like we mentioned before, it's, if it's in GitHub, there's already automated code scans to, to make sure that it's at least have some kind of security baseline, but then the entire community can review it and say, you know what, this is this is great. Or if tokens, for example, are managed in a bad way, then someone can say, you know what, this is this looks good. But if we do it like this, we kind of isolate so we don't share token between sessions or whatever it might be. Uh, so I really like that. So, so the ecosystem sure. and, and collaboration features are amazing. Yeah, I'll make sure to to add the link in the show notes to that open source project now with, with the solution for running multiple copies of Teams. Perhaps that's the key takeaway here. Here's how to run multiple copies of Teams. <laughs> yeah. Alrighty. So, so last but not least, what does it cost? And as, as we mentioned uh, earlier, there's a free tier available, which costs you $0 a month. I love free. And that gives you unlimited public and private repos, unlimited collaborators, and 2,000 action minutes per month, and about 500 megs of, of GitHub package storage. Yeah, and as, as a side note here, only yesterday, as of this recording, only yesterday, Microsoft announced uh, that they're lowering the price for the next year, uh, but also in this free tier, they removed the restrictions because before, you could only have three collaborators. Now this is unlimited, so, and this was announced just now this week. So that's if you're tuning in and you're already using GitHub and you have a private repository, you don't have that limitation anymore. And that's pretty slick. 
The juries. Uh, so beyond free, the next step is team, and that's four dollars per user per month, and it includes everything that you have in free. And on top of that, you get three thousand action minutes. Now I'm wondering if it's include everything. Is it two thousand from free plus three thousand from team, or is it three thousand minutes total? I think it's total, and then two gigs of GitHub package storage as well. Yeah. And and I think um, one thing that changed also now when GitHub made the announcement the other day is this tier used to be $7 per user per month, and now it reduced the other day to $4. So this, okay. is, this is pretty good. Okay, so I pay about 15 euro, which is about, what, $18, $20 per month for Netflix now. And, and for $4, I could, I could be part of a team and that's roughly the, the price of a cup of cappuccino in Helsinki. Yeah. And then the, the third one is enterprise. And obviously that gives you SAML-based single sign-on. So if you want to use your on-premises AD credentials, as an example, you could then have single sign-on to GitHub using your existing credentials. And it also gives 50,000 actions, uh, action minutes per month and 50 gigs of, of storage for GitHub packages. Yep. And the price for that is $21 per user per month. Yeah. And one thing that I like uh, when it comes to these enterprise features around the security auditing, it's you get the audit log. um, So you can see kind of the the actions performed by members of the organization. You don't get that in the previous tiers. Uh, You also get GitHub Connect. And that's a way uh, to kind of connect your GitHub enterprise server to GitHub Enterprise Cloud. So if you have a GitHub server, you can now connect them if you're on the enterprise plan. And like you mentioned, uh, SSO or single sign-on, but you also uh, get LDAP. So you can access GitHub Enterprise Server using your existing accounts and centrally manage repository access. So if you have GitHub Server, Enterprise is something to look at for that integration. So you can actually use the same accounts as GitHub as on the GitHub server. Yeah, and obviously, I would imagine you can mix and match. You could have some licenses as uh, paid for the team tier and some as free. Okay, Uh, so where do I learn more on GitHub? This was a question I had. So I've been using GitHub, but I'm I'm not a pro GitHub user per day. Uh, There might be a week that I never even open it, and then there's days that I'm constantly fiddling with stuff I have in my repos. So one of the things that I found is the GitHub Learning Lab, which you can find at lab.github.com. And I was positively surprised how awesome this is. Because you log in with your own GitHub credentials. If you don't have any, you you provision those on the way. And it has uh, a bunch of labs. And the first one is called First Day with GitHub. And what's really awesome about this is that it will provision a private repo for you, and it will pre-populate that with a bunch of content. And then you work through that content as if it was a real project. So, so you're closing issues, you're committing files, you're opening pull requests, and, and you get familiar with all of these things. And it's dynamic in the sense that once you have that repo open, you have this helper on the page saying, okay, next you need to open a pull request, do this by clicking here. And if you stop doing that and, and you, you call it a day, 
you start getting emails. Yeah, you, you stop at this point. Perhaps you want to pick up tomorrow from here and here. Yeah, and I, I really like that. I, I haven't tried this uh, lab.github.com myself, um, but I've seen it and it, it's pretty similar. You get this interactive learning experience similar to uh, places like CodePen and whatever they're called, like online training academies for learning to, to code where you where you go and it will tell you, well, now you need to run this NPM command in order to build your Angular little thing or whatever it is you're building or your React. Then run this command and then you will change the HTML like this. And you get this kind of sidebar telling you, okay, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. This is going to happen when you put this code over there. And it kind of walks you through it. So I imagine this is kind of the same, but not for how to build React or Angular or anything else, but instead how to work with all the features inside of GitHub. Yeah, so definitely that's that's the place to start, lab.github.com, to, to get more familiar with GitHub. Um, and then we only have one, one more thing left, and that would be word of the day, a little bit of Swedish and Finnish. Let's start with the Swedish one. So the Swedish one is uh, an old saying. Uh, we, don't, we don't say something strange is afoot. So when something's up, we don't say, hmm, something strange is afoot. No, we say in Swedish, ana uglor imossen. And what that means is I'm sensing owls in the bog or swamp. So I'm sensing owls in the swamp, but in Swedish. So when something strange is afoot, something's up, that's what we say. And the Swedish again is ana uglor imossen. I've never heard this ana uglor imossen. Yeah, there you go. Okay, I, I need to pick this up. For I, I feel my... that we're on a good track here of all the essential knowledge we need from, from our two languages. Yeah, definitely. So I, I frequently meet with, with bilingual people, people who speak Swedish and Finnish, and, and I'll be sure to use some of these. Uh, so the Finnish one, this is a tough one. My 10-year-old found this, and he kept repeating this yesterday, so I will pay paid forward. So let me say it first, then I'll explain what it means. Keksiä keksi keksi keksin keksityön keksin keksiä keksi keksin keksin keksityksi. Okay. And what it means, the inventor named Cookie invented the cookie. After inventor Cookie had invented the cookie, he invented that the cookie was invented. Okay. That's clever. Uh, it is, and it's hard even for a natural speaker like myself because you get so lost. It's it's just a single word, or actually two words. So keksia is the inventor, and keksi is a cookie. I'm not gonna try that. I think it's you. You don't need to because I, I think it's enough. I did it once, and now we can let the listeners to to let that sink in and then they can move on with their lives. Yeah, after this, they're gonna be like, let's not do the word of the day anymore. <laughs> Exactly. And, and with this, I think we're done. So thank you for listening and until next time. See you then. Thank you for tuning in to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned.